0: We've been studying in the book of Acts, and we've been following the life of Paul. I come across this statement uh, a long time ago, and and really, it's a good testimony. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I shall be, but thank God, I'm not what I used to be. (laughs) Is that your testimony? It's mine. Last time we were together, Paul had just been rescued by the Roman authorities from being beaten to death by the Jews. About 200 soldiers came to carry him to safety in Acts chapter 21. Before he was led away to the barracks, Paul asked the captain, let me, let me just speak to these people for a little bit. So, what do you suppose Paul was going to say to these people that had just about taken the life out of him? Do you think that he was trying to get even to them and give them a verbal tongue lashing or call down the judgment of God or pour, or, or, or perform a miracle that would show them? No. Paul is allowed to speak and he just wants to give them his testimony. He wanted to tell them how Jesus changed his life and forgave him of all of his sins And this is what we're looking at today in Acts chapter 22. I'm going to be uh, reading verses 1 through 22. And this is really Paul is speaking what God had done for him. And we can learn some lessons about our testimony. Follow as I read, starting in Acts chapter 22, verse 1. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that, He spoke to them in the Hebrew language. They kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are all today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? So I answered, "Who are you, Lord?" And he said to me, "I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting." And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, "What shall I do, Lord?" And the Lord said to me, "Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that time, same hour I looked up at him, Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So he said... Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Father, we come in your presence today and pray that, Lord, you would use the testimony of Paul's conversion to help us to learn how to give our own testimony of what God has done in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the second of three times that Paul is relating his conversion experience. And what we see here in this passage of Scripture is he's just giving his testimony, and I thought it would be a a good model for us as well. So, Paul's setting, of course, is different, but we can learn how we can speak up for our Lord. First of all, he gained a hearing. In chapter 21, verse 40, we read this. So when he had given him permission, he asked the, the captain if he could speak to this crowd. Paul stood on the stairs of the temple there, stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And there was a great silence. He spoke to them in the Hebrew, Hebrew uh, language, saying, First of all, he gained a hearing in these verses of Scripture. He got their attention when he stood on the stairs and raised his hand. He was on this elevated platform so that he could be visible and he could be heard by all of the people that were gathered outside of the temple here. Now, the, the thing that we need to understand is that you and I need to stand on the stairs as well. I said, what in the world does that mean? What elevated platform has God given you for sharing Jesus Christ? Maybe he's given you a job, and that is your stairs to stand on. The people that you meet there, the people that you can share with them, about what God's done in your life and about a word for the Lord Jesus or give them a tract that you need to have that stair. Some of you are still in school and that is your stairs that He has given you to stand on. Maybe you go to a community group or some place that you have a Bible study or you have a, a meeting in your park or wherever. Maybe your internet presence is your stairs that God has given to you so that you could share a word for the Lord, not just pictures of cats and things like that, but God can give you a place where you can share your testimony. I heard a story about a barber who had just been gloriously saved in an old-fashioned revival meeting. The next morning, he was eager to use his barbershop job as a way of sharing the Lord, but he really didn't know how to do that very well. He just got saved the night before. Well, a customer came in and the barber began to shave him, and he was trying to muster up the right words to say. Finally, as he stood with the razor poised over the man's throat, he said to him, are you prepared to meet God? (laughs) (laughs) Now, I probably wouldn't do it that way. But God has given all of us some kind of platform so that we can use that platform to share a word about Christ. Notice he also spoke to them in their language in that last verse of chapter 21. He spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Now, in verse 2, the Hebrew tongue uh, also was actually Aramaic. Uh, all of the Jews at that time spoke the Aramaic language. That's the language that Jesus spoke. And Paul uh, used that language. Now, Paul was a, a person that was born in Damascus. He was a Hebrew of the dispersion. So a lot of the Jews lived all over the world. And, of course, Paul's native language uh, would have been Greek. But they were surprised that this guy who was from Tarsus could speak the Hebrew language. So he spoke to them in this tongue that they could understand. They were pleased, if not surprised, that a Jew of the dispersion could, and so they settled down and listened to him. Now, as we begin spiritual conversations, we should seek to relate to others and find some common ground, find their own language that we can share Christ with them. I remember um, when I am out and about on a Saturday when I'm not coming to church and doing church stuff, I'm just out uh, doing things with family, I will often wear some kind of uh, hat or a shirt with some kind of, like I have a Colts hat, Indianapolis Colts hat. Uh, any, Any Hoosiers here? Yeah. I see a couple there. I'll wear a Colts hat or a Colts shirt. Or uh, from my Iowa days, I will put on uh, my Iowa Hawkeye hat. Or I will uh, wear some some kind of shirt of a place. And it's, you know, I like those teams and things. But there's also another method to my madness. Usually when I wear my Colts or Hawkeye hat, I will eventually somebody will ask me oh go hawks or they'll say how about those uh, Colts this year and you know what just by wearing that i strike up a conversation with them and you talk about those type of common grounds, the same language type of things, and then you can bridge into talking about God, talking about church, or talking about their spiritual life. And, and you know, like say, hey, yeah, I spent 24 years in Iowa. I says, what were you doing? Well, I was a pastor there. <laughs> you know, and, and go right into the gospel presentation. So you've got to find some ways to speak that language and strike up conversation. So that's a first thing. thing. And the next thing when he begins his testimony, he expressed courtesy and respect as he began. In verse 1 of chapter 22, he says, brethren and fathers, brethren and fathers. Now this was a term of respect. He didn't uh, ridicule them when he addressed them. This is a a way of not using caustic words, but he was tactful when he addressed them. And this is actually how Stephen began his speech with these same words. And Paul was there, remember? Paul was there when Stephen gave his last testimony before they took his life as Paul was there. And I think that that uh, stoning of Stephen with Paul holding the garments of the ones that were stoning him and hearing the testimony of this man. That radically prepared. That was one of those pre-conversion touches of the Holy Spirit in his life that had a lot to do with Paul's conversion. Well, he gained a hearing in his testimony, but also notice in uh, the second point here, verse 3 and 4, he identifies with them. Now, he says that he was born a Jew in Tarsus. Now, this was a very important city in uh, that area. Uh, And he says, I am one of you. I'm also a Jew, but I was born in Tarsus. But he also identifies with Jerusalem and Gamaliel in verse 3, brought up in this city, meaning in Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, he is not just name dropping so that people will be impressed with him. He's just trying to get them to understand that he is just like one of them here in Jerusalem. He can explain to them. Now he was born he was born in Tarsus, but he was probably spent most of his life growing up in Jerusalem. Now I'm sure everyone has a place where they were born, but you didn't spend most of your life there. Maybe you spent most of your life in a different place after your family moved. Well, Paul was uh, brought up in this orthodox pharisee lifestyle and trained as a pharisee a son in an educated and perhaps aristocratic home his father was a citizen so he was born a citizen paul probably began to learn the law around his uh, 5 years old and other pharisee traditions around 10 years old and then he was probably sent to pursue training to teach the law when he was around 13 years old. So he grew up under a famous teacher called Gamaliel. Some said that he was the single greatest teacher that Judaism had ever produced. He was the top-notch teacher, and Paul had him as the one who discipled him in Judaism. But he was also zealous and understood where they were coming from. Notice in verse 3, I'm indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you all are today. He was zealous in the law. Well, Paul gains a hearing. So far, so good. They're listening to him. He identifies with them. And now he begins to share his conversion story. And I think that's a good pattern for you and I as we uh, gain a hearing, we identify with people, we begin to talk about spiritual things, and then we give our testimony. And this, Paul's testimony had three parts, and I think that's basically the three parts of any person's testimony. And I like to call them BC, before Christ, CC, how you came to Christ, and A.D., What's life like after your decision? So just think of B.C., A.D., and C.C. in the middle. So Paul, before Christ, is in verses 4 and 5. He had been a leading rabbi in his day, according to Galatians 1. He was a zealous persecutor of the church and a representative of the Sanhedrin Now, I don't know if Paul was necessarily a member of the Sanhedrin, but he was a definite uh, representative. You might say that he was a hitman for the Sanhedrin, you know. They hired him or they used him to go and arrest people and have people uh, killed and things like that. So, he's very zealous for the law. Verses 4 to 5 says, I persecuted this way. Now, that is a, a reference to the Christian's. Jesus said, I am the way. And they called the Christians early in in Acts the way. He persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council the elders from whom I have received letters to the brethren went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished." Skip down to verse 19. So I said, Lord, they know in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. He tells what his life was like before Christ. And he goes into some detail of his activity was before he met the Savior. He was persecuting them. He was arresting them. He was like a bloodhound. If he heard that there was some people that came out of Judaism and became followers, he would get official letters from the high priest to go and that they could arrest them and cause them to come back to Jerusalem. And that was his life like before Christ. Now, everyone has a different pre-conversion story. Some of you might have a Damascus Road experience. (laughs) Your life might have been wicked. You might have gone off the deep end and you might have sinned and sowed your wild oats and your BC might be a Damascus Road. But some of you might have a a mama's knee testimony. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, (laughs) You might have a a VBS teacher that leads you to Christ when you were a child or a Sunday school teacher or a, a quiet conversation when you were a child. So you didn't go and beat up anybody. You didn't have people arrested. You weren't like a Saul of Tarsus. But all of us have some kind of BC. What was our life like before we met Christ. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to have a Paul's testimony. You don't have to have a testimony of of, uh, drugs and addiction and all kinds of wickedness, but it's got to be your story. Well, Paul talked to the Corinthians and, and in his letter to them, he identifies what their BC was like in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So Wow. And then he says this. And such were some of you you Corinthians, you fit the bill. Some of you were homosexual. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you were revilers. Some of you were covetousness and all of this. And then it says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the spirit of our God. You know, uh, we might not want to share all of the gory details of our life before Christ when we're witnessing to people, but enough of it to know that there has definitely been a change in your life, a change in your direction, a change in your motivation, a change. And you know, it seems like today people are putting the pressure and says, well, people can't change. Whatever you are, you are stuck there. No, that's not. That's what the salvation is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. So Paul in his testimony gives a little bit of his before Christ life. And now we see Paul coming to Christ in verses six through nine. Of course, he tells the story in these verses of scripture. Now, as it happened, as I journeyed, He came near Damascus about noonday. Suddenly, a great light from heaven shone around me. So he tells how he was on the way, was on the road to Damascus, still engulfed in his own feeling of what he was doing was right. And then a great light shone down from heaven and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice he couldn't see. He was blinded by the light. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The voice said, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> I am Jesus. The voice from heaven, the God that he hears is actually Jesus And Jesus identifies with himself, with his people. You hurt one of my children. You are actually hurting me. He fell to the ground. And that's where Saul was dramatically converted. When he realized that the God that he thought he was serving is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. He had a dramatic conversion. The light, the voice, the blindness How did you come to Christ? Maybe it was something dramatic. Maybe uh, you were on your way to do something sinful and God stopped you and touched your heart, turned you around. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe it was a, a Billy Graham crusade when God just got a hold of your heart. Or maybe it was something less dramatic. Maybe it was just a quiet, quiet moving of the Holy Spirit in your life as the Word of God has gone out and you realize, hey, I... I don't know if I'm one of God's children or not. Or I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And it happened quietly in a message or at the testimony of a friend or as you were thinking about God's greatness and His glory and then how Jesus revealed Himself to you. Oh, my friend, it doesn't matter how you came to Christ, but there has to been a time when you Ask the Lord to save you when you acknowledge that he died on the cross to pay for your sin. Paul coming to Christ. We have a BC. We have a CC. Now let's look at AD. Paul after his decision. Verses 10 through 18. Arise, go to Damascus, and it will be told you what is next. Look at the things that Paul, I'm not going to read this passage again, but notice what what happened after paul's decision we see in verse 15 it says to to paul that paul was going to be now you will be his witness to all men of what you've seen and heard verse 16 says and now why are you waiting arise and be baptized now let me uh, share with you i believe four different or three different changes that we see in paul's life and i think that we can apply them to us as well First of all, his life repudiated his pre-conversion sins. Now, I think that that's important as well. Now, when we get saved, all of our sins are forgiven. But we still mess up from time to time. But when you get saved, after your decision, your current life should repudiate The pre-conversion sins. What was Paul doing before? He was persecuting the way. He was arresting Christians. He's not doing that anymore. As a matter of fact, he is not persecuting the way. He's following the way. He's going in the opposite direction from what he has done before. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. That's not your lifestyle anymore. He's changed you. He's washed you, as Paul said to the Corinthians. And such were some of you, but you have been washed. You're no longer doing that. Now, we might slip into some of those pre-conversion sins, but that does not describe our lifestyle. So Paul, first of all, shows that he had a change in his life because he wasn't doing what he was doing before. The second thing we see about Paul after his decision is his life exhibited intimate devotion to the Lord. Notice what he says here in verse uh, 17. Now, as it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. In other words, this is just one incident of Paul's relationship to the Lord. He has a new connection. Yes, he believed in God before, and he was a servant. He felt that he was a servant of God, but there was no relationship with this God before. Paul says in his epistles, "...that I may know him and the power of his resurrection." And be made conformable to his death. He, he wanted to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ even deeper and better. And to study his word and to uh, pray to him and, and acknowledge him. And that's exactly what happens to us. We had no relationship before. Now we know the Lord. And we want to grow in the Lord. We get to know him. That's what our life is. Before, there was no really intimate desire to know about God. Now, we can't get enough of Him. Oh, I wish I know the Lord more. I wish I could grow stronger in my faith. And that's the direction that my feet are heading to get to know God even more and more. That's what the change was about. There's another change that we see here. His life was all about obedience. Obedience. When Paul got saved, it was, Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Step by step, God led him. God led him through this uh, uh, Ananias here, there, and. In, in in the city, and the Lord is going to show you what you need. It's just like even when he was blind, he was being led by the hand of someone who was following God, and every step he took, he was in obedience to him. And that's exactly what baptism is all about in verse 16, as we say, and now why are you waiting? Paul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I, I realize a lot of people look at that, and they can probably you know, get the idea of baptismal regeneration from that. But actually, that's not what the text is teaching. The tense of the Greek verb here, arise and be baptized, means you are believers and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. This Greek aorist participle, translated calling on his name, refers to action, which is before that of the main verb of baptism. So, What the participle can be translated, Paul get baptized having called on the name of the Lord and the idea of washing away your sins, of course, since you believed your sins were washed away and that's exactly what baptism is a picture of. A picture of having had your sins washed away. Now, we do baptisms all the time here, and we just had one a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the, the sins aren't washed away in the water. The water can't wash away any sin, and everybody would acknowledge that. Baptize, baptism is a symbol of having your sins washed away by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we see... His life was all about obedience. And then also number four, his life was filled with joy, peace, and purpose. You know, I I, I like uh, what Cheryl sang that song, Without Jesus. You know, as you look at Paul's life, and you really look at our lives, is your life (laughs) trouble-free? Do you ever have any pain? (laughs) Do you ever have sleepless nights? Do you ever have uh, things that you just can't figure out? Of course you do. Paul's life was filled with difficulties. Well, I thought he just got saved. (laughs) Getting saved doesn't mean that your problems are all gone. What it is, is you have Jesus now. You have the Lord, and he is standing right beside you. And he's there holding you up. The Bible says underneath of the everlasting arms. He's there when you are persecuted. He's there when no one else is there. He is there with you. When you lose that loved one. When you can't figure out what to do in a problem. When you're financially going through difficult times. And Paul Experience that. He had a joy of the Lord. He had the peace of God, and he had a purpose for life, and you and I have all of that as well, and that should be part of our testimony, you know. You can't put it down that, oh, it's because that I never have any problems. You get saved, and you won't either. It says, no, no, that's not, that's not our testimony. If you're given that as your testimony, boy, you're either a liar or you're just really deceived, you know. But what we see here, what we see here is that Paul had a new purpose in life. Well, let's see the reaction to his testimony here in verses 22 to 30. Notice what it says. They listened to him until this word, what word? Well, the last word in verse 21, Gentiles, Gentiles. Now he's speaking to a group of Jews outside of the temple. They listened to him until this word and they, were, they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth for he is not fit to live. And Then they cried out and tore off their clothes, threw dust into the air. So this is the reaction by the Jews. This uh, word Gentiles stirred them up when Paul mentioned that his commission was to go to the Gentiles, it moved this mob to rage and instant violence. Now, if he had not uttered that word, he might have been released. But he had to tell them the truth, no matter if they would accept it or not. They threw off their cloaks and flung dust into the air as expressions of intense anger. You know, that's the message of the cross. You know, when we are doing biblical teaching, sometimes it will offend many people, but we've got to be faithful to the whole counsel of God. Well, what kind of reaction did the captain have in verses 24 to 30? Notice what it says here. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Again, they're going to kill him. Got to get him into outside of this area of harm and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they <coughs> shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion, and we'll get to that in a minute. What is happening here, examining by scourging? You know what a scourge is. This is exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was beaten before the cross. The scourging was a, a whip, and they would, they would do that as a pre uh, torture before the sentence, in this case, the captain was trying to this Paul he must have really done something wrong. Look at these people they 're ready to tear him. I will get the truth out of this guy. A couple lashes with this whip. he will be singing you know he 'll be telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Well, as they were getting ready, they tied him up, they were getting ready to paul paul uh, uses his uh, citizenship card. (laughs) I don't know if they actually had Roman citizenship cards like you have, you know, your pass for the movie theater or Winn-Dixie or anything like that you keep in your billfold. But there must have been some kind of identification when Paul says, hey, is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen uncondemned. When he heard the word Roman citizen, the captain of the guards, oh, just wait a minute. No, we, we really didn't do anything. Did we? Anybody touch him yet? Uh, he knew he was going to be in trouble. Claudius, who was the, the captain here, he was shocked that this little Jewish troublemaker spoke Aramaic and Greek, it was actually a Roman citizen, especially when he says, how did you get to be a Roman citizen? I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. Guess what? You could not pay a lot of money to be a Roman citizen. You had to bribe somebody. (laughs) See, that was the money that he had to pay to get this. And I was born a Roman citizen. So he uses this to get out of a beating card. It's kind of your get out of a beating card here in these verse. Well, in verse 30, at the end of this passage of Scripture, we read this. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain, meaning Claudius, wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear brought Paul down to set him before them. Well, the next day, he was going to appear before the Sanhedrin. Now, not the big mob, but the 70 that are going to find out what is this thing doing. And then that's where, that's where the story picks up next week. <laughs> <clears throat> I think there's a couple things we can learn. Paul just shared his story. Let me ask you, do you have a story? Well, it's definitely not a Damascus Road story. (laughs) It might be a VBS. It might be summer camp story. It might be a quiet story of hearing the gospel taught by your mom or your dad, and you got saved in a quiet way. But it's your story. You might not, hey, you know, when you're five years old, you might not uh, robbed too many candy stores or or, uh, gotten arrested for DUI or anything like that. It might be very short on the B.C. And you might not remember too much of how you came to Christ, but you can certainly tell people what God saved you from, the wicked life you could have lived and how you have a joy and a purpose, how Jesus is everything to you, all of us have some kind of unique story. The other application that I'd like to make is what kind of stairs has God put you on top of? Where has he placed you where there's people around that you're familiar with that you can tell them a little bit about Jesus. Well, I hope that wherever that is, that the song would be true of you. I love to tell the story. Father in heaven, I pray that God you would help us as your children, those that have believed in you, to not be ashamed to tell our story of what Jesus has done and what he is doing right now in our lives. And I do pray, Father, for that one that may not have a story how they came to Jesus. That, God, that your Holy Spirit would work in their heart even now and help them to see that Jesus is real and he's alive and he can change someone who is five or even 95. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close our service.